Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Management Monday is proud to present this episode of The Short-Term Show. Management Monday is a weekly course that will teach you everything you need to know about managing a short-term rental from a distance. How to get more bookings, hire ADR, how to hire and fire vendors. Even if you don't want to manage it yourself, you need this course so you know how to manage your manager. Over 10,000 super hosts started their career with Management Monday. And the best part is, it's free for short-term shop clients. Start your journey today at theshorttermshop.com. Theshorttermshop.com. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Short-Term Show. Today we have Dan Templin, super cool guest, uh, short-term rental investor, and I will let him take it from here on introducing himself. How's it going, Dan? Great. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, your background and how you got here. Sure. So uh, my wife and I started our careers basically with um, buying a restaurant, working for ourselves. Um, that was the first thing that we did. And after doing that for a couple of years, we actually... Um, got into rental arbitrage for Airbnb, and we started our first Airbnb through that. Um, and after a short amount of time, we made enough money doing that that we were actually able to purchase that property, which was a uh, duplex. And now we have seven short-term rentals uh, that my wife and I own, and a couple of those we also own with a business partner. Okay, awesome. What kind of restaurant was it? Uh, we still own it. It's a craft beer bar and pizza shop. Oh, okay. Awesome. Whereabouts is that? Uh, it's in Centerville, Michigan. It's a population of like 2000. Oh, okay. Yeah. I feel like the restaurant business. So I've never been in the actual restaurant business, but I've been in the bar business and that's a hard, you're either are going to be in business for a really long time, or you're going to be done in like the first six months and there's really no Absolutely. in between. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's definitely an interesting industry to be in, uh, especially through COVID. Uh, oh, yeah. That threw a lot of um, interesting challenges our way, but we pivoted and we did great through it and we actually grew through it. So um, how that worked out for us was definitely an exception. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. That's, that's really, I don't want to call it lucky because I know it definitely involved a lot of strategy and hard work. And I don't want to take any of that uh, responsibility for that off of you, but I mean, it's really lucky to be able to make it through COVID owning a restaurant. Right. Yeah. We, uh, I mean, I still remember the day, like it was yesterday um, when the governor announced that they were closing restaurants and that the next tier would, after being completely closed, not allowed to have employees in, um, the next phase would be that you could only do pickup or delivery. So we're like, I guess we'll deliver. So we started doing, we did pizza very lightly and we switched to really focusing on pizza and delivering within 15 miles. That's so we could hit our two biggest, um, cities near us. And 
we almost doubled our sales, which was great. Yeah. And I think that especially now, I think people get delivery more than they did before COVID because they just got used to doing it during COVID. And it, hey, it's like a lot easier than packing up two kids Absolutely. in the car. <laughs> Not only from restaurants, but from grocery stores and pretty much everything I feel like has really pivoted. Oh, um, yeah. But we also had uh, short-term rentals during that as well. Um, and those were also, we weren't allowed to take bookings. Um, and we went through the whole Airbnb canceling everyone's bookings. So um, the market has definitely changed since when we got into Airbnbs to where we're at now. Um, and so it's been a very interesting journey. All right. So let's let's back up a little bit and talk about that. So what made you guys decide you own this craft bar and pizza place to decide to do a rental arbitrage unit? What was that catalyst? So the way that... Um, we actually got our start in the restaurant industry was that we bought a house right after we got married um, for $15,000. We rehabbed the entire thing and we sold it for, I think it was like $85,000, but that was our seed money to buy the restaurant. And so buying the restaurant, the goal always was to continue to invest in real estate. We just had to stabilize and get enough cash flow to where we were able to do that. And after a lot of research, um, short-term rentals are a great way to get appreciation, but also to get great cash flow. And so that's the way we decided to go. All right. So where is that? Was you arbitrage one unit to start or did you do multiple? So originally we um, rented one unit in a two-story duplex, um, downtown Kalamazoo, Michigan. And we were doing so great with it that the second floor came up as well. Um, and we approached him and we're his best tenant ever because we had auto pay on, we had, um, you know, professional cleaners in multiple times a week. We took care of any maintenance issues. And so he was happy to give us the second floor to that building as well. And within about a year of, um, renting, we were able to purchase the building. So, Oh, wow. So what kind of, did you have to sign or did you have to come up with any amendments to a typical Michigan lease to cover different things that could happen with a short-term rental, like who pays for damage if a guest causes damage and things like that? So we did um, write an addendum to the um, lease because the standard Michigan lease says that you can't lease it out to anybody else or perform any commercial activities there. And so we basically just wrote up something that said that he would allow us to do that. And we actually um, did a lot of research on how to do it. And we found that it was easiest to find mom and pops instead of trying to go to a large corporation that's renting out and try and find somebody that is maybe tired of being a landlord. Um, so that's what we did. And it took us about two months to find a good fit of a place that, um, you know, using AirDNA, making sure that it would cash flow well, that it made sense and finding a landlord that was on board. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the hardest part about arbitrage is finding a landlord that is on board with that. Right. Yeah. And we, um, so our first three units, we did arbitrage and out of the seven, one of them is still an arbitrage, but all the rest we own out right now. So. Okay. And so what, when you were arbitraging, what were you looking at cash flow wise, uh, on these properties? 
Uh, so do you want percentages or so actual numbers, because it was five years ago. Now, um, I can give a rough idea. The first one that we got, I think the rent was 1350 and we, um, figured that we'd be able to do about 3000 a month out of it. And we actually were able to do quite a bit more than that. Now the first floor and second floor. So we rent that building three ways. We do first floor, we do second floor, or we do whole house where they get both units. And that property now does just over a hundred thousand dollars a year. It's like $101,000. And we were originally renting, um, both floors for, I think it was 2470 for both units. So that was a home run for us. Um, we did have one rental arbitrage that we thought would do quite a bit better than what it did. Um, and we, we stepped out of that one because we're on a month to month lease. And I mean, it ended well and we didn't really lose money, but we weren't making a ton of money and we could take the furniture that we had in there and deploy it someplace else more efficiently. So. Okay. So you're arbitraging a few, you, you decided to buy the duplex. Um, did, what kind of financing did you use for that? So for that one, we did a DSCR loan. Um, we have a couple properties and portfolio loans, but, uh, the majority that we do is DSCR loans. Okay. And how far back was this on, um, on purchasing it? 2019, just before COVID. Oh, Okay. Not too bad. Yeah. All right. So what made you say, all right, we've got two units. Let's go buy some more units. Uh, how did you, or not what made you say that? I think we've established that, but what, what else did you buy? So let's go that route. What, what else is in your portfolio? Are they single families? Are they duplexes? So, uh, with a business partner, we own a five plex and in that five plex, um, there are two studios and we remodeled those two studios. They were in really rough shape. I mean, they were renting for, I think it was like $350 a month. And so we completely what? gutted those. And those two studios now both do, I think it's around $1,200 a month on short-term um, rental income. But out of that five plex, three of those units we left as long-term rentals. So we have two short-term rentals in it and three long-term. And then we have a commercial space uh, in a downtown that the first floor is about 3,000 square foot of office space that we rent out. And then the second floor is two units and both of those are short-term rentals. Um, and then we have the two downtown Kalamazoo, and then we have the one more that's still on arbitrage that is a, um, it's a one bedroom, one bath, and it is probably about a thousand square feet. Okay. And what, uh, so you're using mostly DSCR financing. What are the average purchase prices of these properties that, that you've been doing? So the downtown Kalamazoo one, um, that one we bought for 329 and we got it appraised at the purchase at 399 so that was great um the the fiveplex actually i think we picked it up for eighty nine thousand dollars. dollars so we yeah so we bought that that was the first property that investment property that we bought and that's one that we have with a partner and we didn't convert those to short-term rentals until i think it was around 2020 yeah just before 
before COVID or just right when COVID was starting is when that remodel happened. Um, but that property, I mean, is worth three times what we paid for it easily now. So was was that 89000 Was that just the like market value for that property or did you get... So like the a- property, um, that was a very tired landlord. She was... She was in her late 80s. Her husband ran their whole whole portfolio. She didn't want anything to do with it. She cleaned up the three larger units and left them empty and then had the two studios. And they had, I mean, they were basically drug addicts that were living in there. And so we went in, We um, no one had any um, leases. Everyone was month to month. So we went in there cleaned up the property, got those people out, um, turned it into a super nice property. And it was just a, uh, it was well below market, but it was for a reason because it needed a lot of work. Gotcha. So let's talk about the partner. So what is your partnership structure? Are you both getting the loan? Are you like starting there or are they kind of fine? Okay. We do both get the loans on those properties that we own together. Um, and actually, one of them we did owner financing the commercial building. Um, we did a land contract on, um, so we just had to put twenty percent down on that. And we that was a three hundred twenty nine thousand dollar property too. I think three thirty five, maybe one was three twenty nine, one was three thirty five. I can't remember which is which, but we try to be as creative as possible. So if we can get owner financing on something, we're all for it. If we need to do a DSCR loan or a portfolio loan, we just look at our options, throw it out to the different people that we have relationships with and see how we can make it work. So are you guys sharing in management and rehab duties too? Is it completely 50-50? It is completely 50-50. We're both very active. We, um, we have a great relationship where we trust each other to take care of things. And if somebody's busy with something, um, we can always step in and take care of it. And we kind of divide and conquer. So we, um, we share the income and we share the debt. We share the expenses 50, 50. So. Okay. And so what is that? Like how much meat on the bone is there on, um, that five plex with, uh, with partners, like on the cash flow? a lot because we have very little debt on there. Um, Mm -hmm. that property probably makes about 35 to 40,000 a year in net. Um, which for one property that you only paid $90,000 for is great. Um, Yeah, yeah. And so that gets split between the two of us and we actually, so that company is called CNT Capital, and our goal with that company is any money that comes in gets reinvested. So last year, that company bought two more single-family homes um, just to diversify, so that we're not, you know, all short-term rental or all multi. So we have um, two single-family homes that we purchased basically with the income from the short-term rentals. Okay, so you paid ninety grand. You're both netting about twenty thousand ish each. Mm-hmm. That's that's not bad at all. That cash on cash returns got to right. be yeah. damn near a hundred. Right. Um, okay, so everybody who says there's not there are no longer high cash on cash return deals. Here you go. Uh, what what would you say you spent on the rehab on that one? On the rehab, it was I think it was eleven thousand per unit, so twenty two thousand. And we did actually um, after we bought it. 
it was worth so much more after we cleaned it up a little bit before we did the big rehab. Um, we went to the bank and did refi it and it's still very reasonable. I think we only have like 120,000 in debt. And so we used the money from the refi to do those repairs. Okay. So you paid 90, did some repairs, went, did a refinance and pulled out basically all, all the money back. So you kind of burned it a little bit. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And it's mixed use now kind of because it's short-term rental and long-term rental. So it's a very stable asset for us. The only thing that I don't think that we'll get out of that property is it's kind of in a depressed market. So I don't think we're going to get a ton of appreciation on it, but it has a ton of cash flow. And so, well, I, yeah, I think, I think cash flow is, is most important. That's number one. Appreciation would be number two for me anyway. Sure. Sell with the short-term shop. Are you looking to sell your short-term rental or even 1031 into a different property? Our team of realtors will work hard to get you the most for your investment. We are experts in our field and would love to earn your business. When it's time to sell, call the shop, theshorttermshop.com. That's theshorttermshop.com, brokered by eXp. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. Yeah, so I have a question about this. So we've got a lot of apartment buildings, or not a lot compared to a lot of people, <laughs> but we have a lot of apartment units. And people all the time, they're like, are you ever going to short-term any of those to bump up that cash flow? And my answer to that is no. So I want to know, and the reason for that is I just, I don't like to mix my long terms and my short terms, it's two different types of tenants slash guests. And I just don't want that headache. Do you ever have your tenants, the long terms, ever complain about the guests or have any kind of problems there? I the largest problem that we would have with it is with the Sturgis property. Sometimes the short-term rental guests are a little turned off by the long-term um renters there. Um, because like I said, that is a little bit of a depressed market. And what we really focus on is I feel like everyone with Airbnb is always focusing on vacation rentals. So we really focus on travelers. So people that are, you know, traveling nurses or people coming home to see family or people that are just stopping through for a couple of days on their way across the country or right near a major highway. And so a lot of people um, that rent our units are people that aren't on vacation. They're just people that's traveling. I always say if there's hotels there, there's a market for, you know, traveling short-term rental people. Um, And the biggest thing, I've never really had a problem with a long-term tenant being upset with short-term rentals. I've seen a lot of nightmares in the different groups I'm on on Facebook about that. But um, once in a while, we'll have... A guest complain because long-term tenants get very comfortable where they live, you know, and they do things maybe they shouldn't be doing. Like 
they will be grilling under a patio when they shouldn't be doing that. And they know they shouldn't be doing that because it's dangerous and it scares the short-term rental guests because they're like, they have fire under the awning, you know? So little things like that, but never any real big issues. Okay. So what are the regulations like in the area that you're in? So the reason that I focus on vacation rentals in areas that don't have much hotel presence is because the number one contributor to anti-short-term rental regulation is typically from hotels. So what are you seeing in your market in terms of regulations and hotel pushback? Sure. So regulations obviously are very important. Um, and when people come to me and ask about starting short-term rentals, I always tell them it's better to go into a regulated market than a non-regulated market, because then you're not going to get any surprises because they've already addressed the issue. Um, but a couple of the markets that we are in are in are unregulated and the markets aren't really big enough for it to be a concern. There's not really any kickback or anything like that. Um, it's actually funny enough, the one that we still have on arbitrage is in such a small town that there's only two short-term rentals listed on Airbnb. And in the city council meeting or the village council meeting um, last week, they said, well, let's start taxing these Airbnbs. And there's literally two of them. <laughs> <laughs> so there could always be surprises that come up, but um, most of the regulations, like the one in Kalamazoo, short-term rentals follow the exact same rules that long-term rentals have. You just have to have it inspected yearly and, if you get a great score on it, um, they change it to every three years. So we only get them inspected every three years. So. Okay. So what, what, I didn't realize they weren't all in the same market. So which all markets are you in? What, are, how many are there? Uh, I mean, if you're talking the grand scheme of things, mm -hmm. it would be called the same market. We're in Southern Michigan. Oh, so, okay. but some, they're like an hour apart from each other. So, okay, yeah. Okay. And your occupancy rate in these in these small towns, which I don't think that occupancy rate is the best metric to measure anything by. I think that annual income is. But just since these are such small markets, what would you say your occupancy rate is uh, for your different units? So for the efficiency units, the um, occupancy rate is literally like 97 um, percent. Okay. If we miss a day, it's a rarity. And our there's a lot of arguments that can be made with that too. Well, you need to raise prices. Um, and I can see that, but when rent used to be 300 and we're bringing in 1200 and we have high quality tenants or guests staying, I don't see any reason to raise it. We've played with that and it's lowered occupancy. So we're pretty happy with where that's at. And then in Kalamazoo, um, which is the bigger market in our area that we're in, um, we're probably around 85 to just under 90%. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So there is demand in these smaller markets that only have, oh, yeah. <laughs> have two Airbnb. Right. Yeah. And it's funny. People are always like, well, what do you mean you have, you know, short-term rentals? Most people call them Airbnbs there. And it's like I say, if there's hotels there, people are traveling there. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And I feel like the, they're a little bit safer too, because when the economy starts to slow down a little bit, people cut vacations long before they cut business trips. So. I, I could argue that point, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, 
it, so what are you thinking your next step is? Are you still scaling or are you, um, are you thinking you're, you're right where you want to be cash flow wise or what's, what does the future look like for the next so, few years? So we are planning to pick up a couple more single family homes. And then after that, I think that we are going to start looking at adding more short-term rentals to the mix. Um, right now we have a plan by the end of the year to pick up two more single family homes. Um, and we, we really like commercial space, but I think short-term rentals is where we're going to go back to just because okay. the cash flow and the cash flow kind of lets you snowball to be able to buy, buy more properties faster. So. Gotcha. So when you say single family homes, do you mean single family homes that are going to be short-term rentals or they're going to be long-term rentals? Oh no. Long-term rentals. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what is the typical long-term? Cause I'm a big, big proponent of having a diverse portfolio. I don't think anybody should have all one asset class. So what does the typical return look like on a long-term rental? If you just want to give an example in that market. So the last one um, that we picked up, we make, I think it's about 650 a month in cash flow on it. And okay. we are, we're very, very picky with our buy box. We buy a very certain type of house and we're very patient. So we know our market extremely well. We wait for something to pop up that we feel like is undervalued and we make an instant offer on it. And if they don't take it, that's fine. Sometimes it takes, you know, five offers on five different houses. Um, but we always try to get bonus equity when we buy a house. The last one we bought with, we bought it for $199. It appraised at $249. So there's $50,000 instant bonus equity. Um, so we're trying to pick up money every single place that we can, you know, through bonus equity, through appreciation, through cash flow. And we buy median priced homes just because we feel like that's the safest kind of market to be in. Because if real estate prices do drop, um, luxury housing always takes percentage wise, a bigger hit than what a median price home would. And so those are kind of like our, our safety net, I would say. And so we want to add two more to our safety net before we start doing more short-term rentals. Okay. And will your short-term rentals be more multifamily or will they be single families? So I think the next one that we do, um, my wife and I talked about it and I know it's a really popular thing to do is to buy in a vacation market that you enjoy being in. And mm -hmm. I think that's what we'll do next is buy an actual vacation home, someplace that we enjoy visiting. And then even if it's, you know, a break even type of property, um, if we use it five times a year, however often we use it, we'll probably use it more than that. But um, that's the next step. Okay. So more of like a lifestyle asset. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And where, where would that be? Somewhere on the, on the coast of Michigan? So we looked at Lake Michigan, um, which according to uh, recent numbers is been doing very well. Um, I think they made the list for, uh, oh, I can't think of the name. What's the company that tells you the income? Air DNA. Yeah. According to one of their most recent reports. Um and we also really enjoy Florida. So maybe something down there. Okay. Uh, is there any specific target cash on cash return that you look for in your short-term rentals? So 
we got really lucky with the five plex. And so we're kind of spoiled with that, but really we want, um, to do anywhere between 10 to 15% cash on cash returns. So it's not super aggressive, um, but we normally do quite a bit better than that. That's kind of the threshold to consider it. Okay. What are you seeing as a standard out there? It really depends on the property and like what people are looking for. So, I mean, we're in 20 markets, so it just depends on if are like you said, are they buying it for a lifestyle asset? We have some markets that have more of those types of buyers and others that are looking for specific cash flow or cash on cash return targets. So I would say in this market, anything 10% or over, but with room for you to be able to add income producing amenities or remodel, et cetera, to get that bumped up above 20. Sure. Um, yeah, the during co the, like the height of the um, boom of Airbnbs, which I feel like our Airbnbs are still, you know, killing it. But I saw a ton of people jumping in that got super excited and they were buying properties that were cash flowing, you know, 10 time multiples. So, or I don't know how to phrase that. They were buying properties. If it was grossing 90,000 a year, they're paying 900,000 for it. And on paper, I just can't make that work. So we're very picky about the properties that we do pick up. And I hope a lot of people don't get in trouble with the properties that they bought over the last couple of years. Cause I see a lot of very aggressive, um, strategies towards them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's always going to be people out there pushing for people to over leverage themselves and pull all the equity out of this and, and leverage that into five more properties to where the first property is no longer cash flowing. And now you have six and then you're, you know, you're doing it again and again until none of them are cash flowing, but you got 25 properties. So I think, yeah, people really need to be careful with that, with the over leveraging and making sure that they're not forcing their initial properties to no longer cash flow by pulling out too much equity to go leverage more things. So I think that's definitely something to, Absolutely. to be aware of. Yeah. All right, Dan, we're to the last three questions of the episode. We ask all of our guests these questions. They're the same ones. The first one is, what advice would you give 20-year-old Dan? That is a great question. Um, so I met my wife right around that age. So I'd be very hesitant to go back and tell myself anything because I feel very blessed to have the life that I have, my kids and my wife and everything that we've done. But I, if I could change something from when I was 20, I think that I would have not went to college and I would have went right into real estate. Um, watching the progression of everyone around me, um, people that really dug in and became realtors at a young age and really made a strong foothold. Um, I think really carved out a great life for themselves. And that's probably the route that I would have told myself to go. All right. Interesting. And second question, kind of similar to the first one, what advice would you give a new investor who's looking to get started today? I would tell them to be extremely careful with their numbers. Uh, there's so many things that can be hidden in the cost of owning a property um, and to make sure that they're financially stable enough to be able to, you know, float a property for six months 
or longer if needed, if something comes up that's unexpected. So to really have strong cash reserves before they uh, take the leap. All right. Also good advice. And last question, what is your favorite book that's impacted your mindset? So I would have to say Grant Cardone's 10X Rule. When I read that, it really shifted my mindset um, and it brought our restaurant from doing, we were doing like, when we bought it, it was doing just over a hundred thousand dollars a year, which is like nothing. And we got it up to around $500,000 a year. And after reading that book within six months, we were on track to do a million dollars a year. So amazing, made a huge impact. Yeah. Green Cardone has some great books. Yep. All right, Dan. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. If thank you for having are- me. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. Uh, if any of our listeners want to find you, follow you, all that fun stuff on the internet, where can they do that? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at the businessman underscore Dan or the businessman Dan.com. All right. Thanks so much, Dan. We'll catch you later. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye.